You're listening to episode 29 of the Jazz Violin Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Sarah Caswell. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Jazz Violin Podcast. Today I'm chatting with Sarah Caswell. I hope everyone's managing to stay safe, sane, and uh, reasonably happy uh, in this difficult world that we suddenly find ourselves in. Um, I know that we're all stuck indoors and thinking about inequality and racism. It's exciting to see so much change happening. But it's also stressful for, I think, it seems most people as we're stuck indoors and our reality is uh, dictated by social media. So I hope we're all okay and talking to our friends as much as you possibly can. And no one's falling out because that's a thing, isn't it? Everyone's falling out with each other. Today, I'm chatting to Sarah Caswell. She is an amazing Grammy-nominated musician. I think you're actually listening to the solo that was nominated for the Grammy in question right now. She's a great player. She's got amazing tone, amazing feel, amazing language, and she's got some real nice things to say to me today. We even spoke about the positives of second position, which, uh, which might be quite shocking for some of you. Maybe not for everybody, though. Maybe just for me. Maybe I need to work on my second position. Or maybe I just need us to get on with this podcast. So one last thing before we do carry on, though, is if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so via Patreon. All you need to do is type www.patreon.com forward slash jazz violin podcast and then uh, basically give me some money. If you want to, of course. If you don't want to, you absolutely don't have to do it. You can just carry on listening to these podcasts, enjoying them, uh, sharing them with your friends, uh, rating them on iTunes, and uh, I don't know. That's it. Please enjoy. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, thanks for the invite. Yeah, yeah. I've been checking out a load of your stuff and really enjoying listening to your playing. Oh, thank you. And uh, I thought it'd be interesting to hear a little bit about how you got into playing and a little bit about your music. So first of all, if you wouldn't mind telling me just how you started playing the violin. Sure. Well, I I grew up in a very musical home. Um, my, uh, My mom was an organist and a pianist. And, um, and both my parents actually are musicologists. So, um, so we were always, always having music played in the house and, um, you know, in my earliest memory. Um, so when I was about five years old, um, you know, my parents were, were thinking about starting both me and my sister on instruments and they weren't quite sure what might be the best, um, the best starter. Uh, piano of course, of course, was a consideration because of my mom's skills. Um, but yeah. one of her students um, at Indiana University, which was where both of my parents were teaching at the time, um, was, a, was a violinist and was very interested in violin pedagogy and, and all of this. And so she encouraged my mom to, um, to enroll, uh, in, enroll both of us in the pre-college string program. And um, my mom was a little hesitant at first. Um, I, she, I don't think violin was a favorite instrument of hers. We, what she was envisioning, um, you know, with uh, a, a starter violinist was just kind of like what she defined as a squawk box. <laughs> 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 um, but, you know, I, I was pretty excited about the idea. And, um, and so, you know, and, and her student was, was pretty convincing. And so um, mom, uh, mom and dad both were on board to, to give it a shot. And um, I remember everything about that day when we went to go uh, pick up the violin rental from the violin shop. And um, I remember the dress I was wearing. I remember the side of the car that I was sitting on. Um, and I remember the car ride home, how excited I was to, to take the instrument out of the case and give it a, give it a try. And, um, and I also remember the first few notes that I played on the instrument. I played A-A-E-E. 
And I immediately got really excited because um, I recognized them, you know, as being the first four notes of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Huh. And I got really frustrated because I couldn't figure out how to make that F sharp happen. <laughs> huh. So, um, so I was hooked. I just, I loved, um, I loved the instrument. I loved the sound. I just loved having that, um, that way of, uh, you know, expressing myself. Um, the more that I learned about the instrument and music and, um, yeah, it was just, it was a really amazing creative outlet that I, I just loved. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was taking Suzuki, uh, violin lessons. That was when I was around five and a half, um, yes. doing that. And then, um, because my parents were musicologists, um, they uh, were wanting to make sure that my sister and I both had um, just a pretty broad exposure to a lot of different music that was out there. And, and keep in mind, this is before internet, um, yeah. before, you know, one click of a button and you have like, you know, uh, uh, endless amounts of music at your fingertips. Um, so for them to, uh, to expose us to different music, they had to you know, go to record shops and go to record libraries and bring things home, um, you know, track by us, uh, recording by recording and expose us to it in that way. But they, they believed in it enough that that was what they did. And, um, you know, they certainly had a lot of repertoire they collected over the years that they introduced us to and, and were always taking us to concerts, um, you know, so with the university, Indiana University being there, there were constantly artists coming through and giving performances. So we were pretty fortunate to have um, just that variety of, of music and, and um, that, uh, uh, like, all those resources available to us. So um, I guess I was around eight or nine when I started taking um, jazz violin lessons from uh, David Baker, who uh, was head of um, the jazz department at Indiana University. Yeah. And around the same time, I was also taking Baroque violin lessons as well um, from Stanley Ritchie, who was in charge of the uh, early music department at IU. And I loved it all. I mean, it was to me, there wasn't so much um, a, a, a barrier with each style. I mean, like to me, it was all music. And yes, there were um, there were uh, stylistic differences with them, but there were so many more similarities. Um, and I just... I just love learning um, and immersing myself in, in that music and, and just you know, getting to know as much as I could about it. Um, I really kind of latched on to classical and jazz. Um, those were sort of the, the musics that I really sort of um, felt uh, I, I, I just really loved the most. And um, so I did that throughout high school and uh, in college. I, I double majored at IU in violin performance and in jazz studies. Um, and then I took a couple of years off. I was doing an artist diploma um, during that time, just a two-year performance degree at IU. But um, it's kind of take, just taking some time to, um, you know, just to, to practice more, to pursue um, some of the uh, professional opportunities that were coming along. Um, but I knew I, at some point I wanted to, um, to uh, further my studies. Um, and I wanted to kind of change the scene a little bit as far as, like, where I was based and um, just kind of uh, look at what was beyond the town that I'd always known. Mm-hmm. And um, New York was always kind of on my horizon. Like I just, I, I saw that as a place where I wanted to, to eventually be. And um, so that time was kind of the opportune uh, moment to, um, to move to New York and get a master's degree, but then also start to um, see if that was the place where I wanted to, um, to hang for, for a while. Um, so I moved to New York in 2004 and um, got my master's at Manhattan School of Music. And I, I focused my studies at that point on, on jazz performance because by that point, I was really sort of feeling as though that was my creative zone. Like that's where I really felt the most myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's um, what brought me to New York and kind of in a nutshell <laughs> how, um, how all this stuff got started. How it all started, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, it was quite early for someone to be getting into jazz violin just from all the people i've spoken to and myself myself included you know most people don't find out that you can play jazz on violin until until they get a bit older and they and they work at it but how 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 did that actually happen you know how did how how was it that you were exposed to the even the idea of jazz violin from the from such an early age yeah it was interesting um well david baker uh was um, for the longest time was known as a, tromb- a jazz trombonist, um, just an uh, extraordinary performer uh, on that instrument um, in the jazz realm. 
Um, when he was teaching IU, he, I think he was hired around 66 or so, 1966. Mm. Um, and not long after he uh, started teaching at IU, he got in a car accident, which um, uh, affected his jaw and prohibited him from playing um, trombone. So he ended up switching to um, an instrument that was in a similar register, happened to be the cello. Uh. So um, he and my dad were very good friends. You know, they were constantly seeing each other on campus and they just, you know, they were um, you know, just uh, got along famously. And, yeah. and um, uh, David was like, yeah, you know, I, I would love to work with your daughters. And there was never really a, a mention of like jazz violin. It was just teaching yeah. them about jazz you know? yes. and not necessarily having to be um, segregated by instrument. He was just like, look, I, I, I think you know, Sarah would have a really fun time learning about this music. And I know you are, you're interested in, in trying to expose your daughters to all sorts of different styles of music out there. So I'd love to love to work with them. And so the fact that he played cello, I, I, I suppose yeah. in a way um, sort of uh, um, dissolved any nervousness I might've had about the fact that I was playing an instrument that I, I wasn't really necessarily seeing out in um in the concert field that much again this was pre-internet um it was just it was more about learning the language and and honestly in the lessons that we had david was primarily playing piano Mm -hmm. um so there was never really um any uh yeah there was it was just about learning about the music and it was never really an instrument thing you know, it's just like, I want you to learn about jazz. So here are solos of uh, Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and Miles Davis. I want you to transcribe. And he actually didn't, um, he didn't assign me any jazz violinists to transcribe until probably about three or four years into my studies with him. Yeah. Um, I think he was really sort of interested in me getting this broader perspective on all the different artists who were um, having a role in, in contributing to the language. And yeah. he knew that violin, of course, was, a, was a, a, a really important part of it, but he also didn't want me to necessarily maybe... Uh, reach for the um, the idiomatic things that I yeah. might latch on to automatically just because they're practitioners on, on their uh, on the same instrument. So I think he really wanted me to sort of get a unique um, uh, immersion into the music by itself, and then later on um, get a deeper understanding about my uh, my instrument's role in uh, in the legacy of, of the music. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You see, I just spoke to Regina Carter last. Last oh, Regina. <laughs> Good friend. Yeah. And she had the she had a similar thing to say. Her teacher had been, and I think it's rightly so, is is saying, look, and I think Regina's thing was it was her teacher said, look, there's such a small amount of violinists that if you if you if you spend too much time with them, you'll probably just end up trying to sound like them, or you will just end right. up sounding like one of them. Yeah. And, uh, and definitely, I mean that's I think that was David's concern. It was just like, you know, especially as a kid you imitate what you, what you witness. And, um, I think he was just a little concerned that I might just gravitate toward, um, some of those violent sounds. And you just, you just really want to make sure I had my own sense of, uh, my own style, my own personality that was finding its way, um, along that, that journey. Yes. So who was, uh, when you were first getting into playing jazz, who yeah. was, who were the, who were some of the musicians that were uh, influencing you the most? Yeah, um, well, definitely. I mean, those first uh, those first musicians that he had me transcribe, they're definitely imprinted on my brain. Um, Charlie Parker and, and Dizzy. He um, David really had a lot of fo- focused a lot of his teaching on on bebop, yeah. and so um, he wanted to make sure that, that vocabulary was definitely a foundation for what I would what I would do as an improviser. Um, but I was always uh, drawn to um, the really lyrical. Uh, improvisers like Bill Evans and Miles Davis. Ah, so um, those those two folk were 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 pretty um, pretty influential on the way that I um, I play now. Um, so yeah, those 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 folks were definitely um, probably the first influences that uh, had a pretty pretty large impact on my playing. And have they has that has that sort of stuck with you throughout? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, especially the the lyrical um, those lyrical players. Um, yeah, I mean, but you know, I mean, it's those solos that you that you first learn when you're getting exposed to this music. They're with you for for your lifetime. <laughs> yeah. And um, you know, those those Charlie Parker solos that I did, you know, I, I'm now's the time. And um, oh, yeah. and like and uh, I think the first Disney solo that I transcribed was um, 
Oh, I think it was Hot House, one of his Hot House uh, live yeah. recordings. And um, yeah, I mean, I, it's so imprinted. Like I could not listen to that recording for like five or six years. And yeah. if someone played it, it'd be like, oh yeah, I remember that. And like it would, it would come back. It'd be rusty, <laughs> yeah. but it's there. I mean, it's just, you live with it and it's, um, it's just such a part of your, your blood. It's, I mean, it's in your blood. Yes. Yes. You know, there's something funny about that era of jazz, that bop era mm-hmm. the chart the parker and dizzy when they were playing together that um language it can sometimes like it depends where you are on the violin or what, yeah. what key you're in but that language can either really work like amazingly like, uh-huh. you know like you would <laughs> never have never have imagined or yeah. really not work have you found i know yeah yeah no it's it's been a pretty wild ride when um when I've been teaching it, I mean, cause I, again, mm. when you're a kid, you don't necessarily think about the challenges that you're facing with it. Yeah. You just sort of do and you figure your way through it. And, um, you're just kind of ignorant to it all. You just, you know, just kind of going along for the ride. Uh, but it's been interesting when I go to teach it, um, and I'm breaking things down. It's like, Oh man, yeah, that's, that doesn't lay so well on the instrument, does it? <laughs> <laughs> and so just trying to figure out, I mean, it's, it's interesting. What I found is, um, interestingly enough, and this is getting pretty like, technical but um have you seen the, the, have you seen the, the the title of this podcast well, <laughs> yeah I, I know okay <laughs> I, this, <laughs> I i know who i'm talking to so it's, it's, this is good um yeah i, I found that oddly enough second position uh-huh. ends up being a really like a nice middle ground for a lot of the bebop melodies like if i base my um base my hand there and then kind of uh you know sort of shift up and down um you know third and first and, and maybe fourth it second position is kind of great <laughs> for maneuvering wow. through a lot of those melodies um so that's, that's definitely kind of helped as i've analyzed it you know for teaching stuff it's it certainly helped to smooth out um the ways that i've traditionally played those songs um yeah. and the way i've played transcriptions um, so I'm, I'm definitely a lot more conscious about hand position and just the ability to to um, to make those subtle little shifting movements so that I'm not mm. doing these really awkward, you know, uh, arm string crossings and, and all that yeah. stuff. So are you, are you saying that um, up to the point before you were teaching, you would be, you you actually would be playing it in a more awkward way. But then when you got to having to teach it, you you found that second position would be a good place to work on. And, and from now, from there, that's sort of what you do when you're, when you're playing. Yeah, people. it was a mix. I think um, I, it was more about, I, I was, I probably was doing more in second position, but I wasn't necessarily conscious of it. Right. You know, just sort of doing it and um, was sort of, uh, I would move to a position where the, where I'd like be able to more efficiently play the melody, but I wasn't consciously thinking, I'm in second position and most of my time right now on this melody is in second position. It wasn't something that I was um, just cognizant of. So it wasn't until um, people were asking me, like, I'm noticing that you're in this zone of your instrument more than you're, than not. It's like, Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. I am primarily in second and third. That's a good observation. Maybe this is a a trend through most of what I'm doing. And it's just sort of being made aware of it and then actually recognizing it, that it's, um, I mean, it's probably the same thing with Boeing's. I think a lot of us, you know, yeah. most of us end up doing that offbeat, onbeat um, uh, pairing of notes. Yeah. And it's not necessarily something that um, I didn't necessarily have somebody teach that to me. It was something that I um, that I absorbed through transcribing and imitating the the swing rhythms and the yeah. and the articulations right. that I was hearing. And it wasn't really until I noticed other string players were doing it, and then kind of like uh, assessing my my tendencies in, in technique. It's like, oh yeah, this is this is kind of a, a foundational um, element in how I'm articulating and phrasing a lot of the stuff that I do. So it's just, it's being made aware of it, I think, more than anything else. Um, yeah. You know, it sounds like that, um, that way of, uh, of, of learning from on your, on your side, I think that sort of rings true with, uh, I mean, I might be speaking out of turn, but the Suzuki thing, like the, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of Suzuki, you, like Suzuki just gives you such a great grounding of uh, technique, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and and it gives you such a great grounding in technique without you even really noticing it. That's the whole point of it, isn't it? It's like you sort of trick the kid into having amazing technique by <laughs> by, by basically playing games with them. That's to, you know to start yeah. with. And I feel that's just a way you're describing how you now look back at your own jazz violin open open quote close quote technique. Yeah. It seems quite 
seems uh, quite in keeping with Suzuki. Yeah, um, I was pretty lucky. I mean, the the pre college string program at Indiana University is is just amazing. Um, it's it's been run by Mimi Zweig for oh god, coming up on forty years now. Um, yeah. And she's just done an amazing job with it. But I was also really fortunate that um, uh, I got a chance to work. Um, I mean, I, so I worked with her for my first teacher, I guess, was Rebecca Henry, who was the the girl who my mom's student who convinced my mom to, to let me try violin. Um, I was with her for about a year or two. Then I was with Mimi Zweig for about four or five years. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I was I moved on to Joseph Gingold um, and I was with him for. Uh, oh man, until he passed, which was in 95, I believe. Yeah. Um, and Joseph Gingold was, is just, you know, I mean, he's always, he's just uh, one of the, was one of the most amazing classical violin teachers there was. I and mean, he was um, sort of seen as the top classical uh, violin instructor at, at IU. And along with Dorothy DeLay at Juilliard, the two of them were sort of seen as these icons in um, violin pedagogy. So I had such amazing guides in um, the classical field. I mean, they gave me the tools through, initially it was through Suzuki, but then of course it went on to, um, you know, through Joseph Gingold's teachings. I mean, he was, he was Josh Bell's teacher, Corey Sarasak. There's so many, so many great artists out there. And he, um, he was my guide in sort of building that technique. So, Mm. um, and then David, of course, was with his jazz instruction was, was giving me all sorts of musical guidance uh, in the language and the style. So I, I feel really fortunate that I had these amazing folk who were really sort of able to draw on their traditions of strength and um, to, to share that knowledge with me. Um, And they were all, they all, they all knew I was taking all these lessons. uh, I was taking these these different styles of lessons and were open to it and were just, um, were yeah, just sort of giving me the information and sort of, you know, letting me do what I was going to do with it. And just, they were just giving me the skills and the tools that I needed in order to sort of see how it's all going to settle. And um, yeah. I feel, yeah, I feel really, really very fortunate about, about that. that. Yeah, sounds good. And it's like, you know, having a good, having good teachers on both sides who understand the, you know, who understand the different, um, the different styles or the, or the understand that you're interested in different styles and you're yeah. playing different styles is, is, is important. And I think a lot of people can be put off by teachers, you know, not, not being so, um, so supportive in that way. Yeah. You know? I'm, that when I was time. coming up, yeah, it, when I was growing up, it was definitely, um, that was not the norm. Um, yes. I, you know, I, I was, again, I was, I was lucky that, that the teachers were all aware of, of um, the different, um, styles of music I was studying and they were they were in support of it but I you know I would go to do classical competitions and I might um, you know if there was a, f- a piece of my choice that I could include in the, in the programming I there were a couple times where I chose to to do a jazz piece mm-hmm. and I got comments on the on the uh, you know adjudications like what is this that you're doing this is you know, you know just very um, negative responses um, of the yeah. notion of of bringing another style of music into into my performance, yeah. and um, you know, I heard over the years there was definitely a lot of um, I heard other stories from other violinists who were um, kind of trying to, to pursue similar paths, and they w- would just hit walls all the time, um, especially from uh, maybe some of the the more um, uh, older school conservatory. Um, minded people who are just sort of like very um this is the style of music that is the style you should play which is you know classical western mm. classical music and it wasn't really until you you saw more of these summer workshops popping up um right uh, f- like mark o'connor's fiddle workshops yeah um, it started in 95 um and you know him being this artist who uh, just had over the you know, course of his career had connected with a lot of different um, practitioners of different musical styles um through those relationships he was able to gather them all together for a one-week workshop and um fil- you know violinists of all ages and all levels could come together for a week and could um i think the first two days were called the fiddler shuffle where um everybody was I had an hour with each um, each teacher or mm-hmm. each each style of music, so you got this wonderful buffet of of violin music that you could do everything from jazz to classical to klezmer to bluegrass to Irish to rock, 
Um, and or so you, you, do, you do those for the first two days, and then the last three days were spent um, taking classes of, in the styles that you were most interested in. And it's in, been interesting to see the students who came to those first few years of the workshops to see how, like, how their artistry has blossomed. Mm. Um, for instance, Tessa Lark is one of the students who came to those workshops early on. And um, she must have been, I don't know, eight or nine years old. Um, and she was one who was coming to the jazz classes. She was going to the classical classes. Um, and now she's, you know, she's certainly a, a, just uh, this blossoming artist in the classical realm. But I saw her do um, one of her like, a live stream concerts a couple weeks ago with her fiance. And yes, she was doing like, you know, some classical pieces just brilliantly. And then she switched over and was doing sort of a new grass piece that she'd composed. And it was completely like, it's, you know, it sounded like Margot Connor. I mean, it was just like that, that, that familiarity and style and that fluency. And, um, that's, you know, she grew up with it. So it's, it's that multilingual aspect to making music that I think is now starting to surface. Um, the more and more that, that people have exposure to um, just this broad, uh, broad exposure to what's out there. And it's beautiful that, that so many of those divisions that have so long been in place, like I'm a classical violinist or I'm a jazz violinist or bluegrass, those, those barriers are starting to dissolve. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, we all have our specialties and maybe there's this particular style that maybe f- um, feeds a lot like, or the majority of what we do. But, you know, I, I can speak from my own experience. I, I'm, yes, I'm a jazz musician, but absolutely classical plays a big part in what I do, how I, I, how I compose, how I play. Uh, musically and technically. Um, but I also, like, I learned so much from teaching at Mark's camps over the years um, through hanging out with the different instructors and going to the jam sessions and just learning about uh, about all those things from just being there that um, has absolutely seeped into um, into my um, into my music. And, mm. um, and I know that's happening for so many others and it continues to, like, now there are, you know, universities that are offering more of that diversified curriculum, um, Berkeley and Belmont and, um, and just a ton of schools that are, are seeking to be more inclusive because first, well, partially because they're seeing that change. Uh, they're seeing how, um, the music industry is changing and, and just how artists are being more inclusive in their own compositions. The students are demanding it. They want to learn about uh, more about than just about Western European classical music. Yes, that's uh, it's you know it seems it seems a trend actually more in the states than uh, where I am. I maybe by my accent you can tell that I'm British. <laughs> I guess that yes. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> Britain, you know, we've I still think we're quite a uh, traditional traditional uh, country. In a lot of ways, more, you know, the, the States is, you know, you're just, you guys, you don't mind mixing it up as, and I think <laughs> that it takes us a little bit of time to, I mean, some Brits might be listening and might be really angry with me saying this. <laughs> we're not always there, you know, but yeah. the, the programs, uh, in, in the UK, they're still pretty, you know, you've got your jazz, you st- you've got jazz courses and you've got classical courses and the two really mix. Um, yeah. There is, there's more, there is more of it, but it seems like it's, it's a lot more prevalent in the, in the US. And I do hope yeah. it happens here more. I do think, I don't know, we just, we, we quite like, we like to separate things, you know, it's, it's like yeah. that in the music scene here. I don't know what it's like where you are, but you know, you, people are like, okay, that person does that and that person does that and that's what they do and that's what they get booked for and that's what, you know, right. It, it, it we we like to separate things a little bit, but I'm I'm hoping it does it does it does happen more. Um, yeah, I I you know I I will say it's um I'm seeing it through a lens of someone who's sort of involved in the scenes where those changes are happening. Um, I teach yeah. at Berkeley. Um, I I've been teaching a lot of these camps um, uh, where you know, this sort of um, integration is happening, but I also do a lot of residencies. Um, at universities and colleges, you know, across the U.S. and and the majority of those schools are still very much bound in the structures that you're speaking of, like the segregation, the division, step by yeah. style. Uh, but what I notice changing is just the fact that there is more of a curiosity and a desire from the administration and the teachers to explore making those changes so that they have a more diversified curriculum. It's a slow change. It's a slow boat to turn. 
um, yeah. because it's not just a matter of the students saying, we want this, therefore it's going to happen. There are so many different layers um, and so many different channels that these sorts of things have to go through that it's, it's a slow uh, change. But um, I think there's enough of a demand and, um, yeah. and enough, uh, yeah, I, I, there's, just, there's, there's a desire for it. And I think in another, I don't know, maybe another 15 years or so, it's going to be a very different, um, very different field uh, as yeah. far as like what schools are offering. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's there. It's definitely, it's, it's, it's dramatically different from what I knew when I was in college and that I was uh, doing my undergrad back in nine from 96 until 2000. And at that time there were very few schools that um, there were, there were certainly, you know, of course there were classical um, programs and there were jazz programs, but there were very few schools that would, would allow me to double major. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and certainly there was there were very few schools that uh, sort of offered what Berkeley did as far as having music besides those two styles of of, uh, of study. Um, but now you're seeing more and more of those um, programs popping up all over, and um, it's yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens another 15 years down the road, another 20 years down. That's true. I think you know. Well, you know, the thing about America is is like jazz is is your music, right? As in, like you, it's it's sort of America's. It's, it's a folk music of America in a way, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. So it makes sense that, that it would be, it would, it would, the, the education would be, would be more on point where you are. I think it'll just take a bit of time for other places to, to catch up with you guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So in you, you're talking about, you were talking about your composition. Um, mm-hmm. You, you, you are a composer. You like to compose music. Um, What's your process for doing that? It's interesting. I'm, I've only recently been doing more with composition, just putting more focus uh, on that. Um, you know, a lot of what I did, I mean, I, so I, I had a couple albums that I released uh, in 2000 and 2005. Yeah. Were, you know, my own, my own projects. Um, but when I moved to New York, I, a lot of my time was spent um, as a sideman, um, being uh-huh. involved with other people's projects and kind of, exploring my voice through other people's music that I really loved. Um, for whatever reason, I just kind of was putting off um, the uh, sort of the, the, el- the exploration or the reentry into my own, my own music. Um, I did some work with my sister. Of course, we also have an album that came out yeah. in 2013 with, um, with Fred Hirsch. And I started to do a little bit more writing with that one. Um, but it wasn't until this last, like these last couple of years when I was like, I really, like, I, I had a, a band of guys I've been working with on and off for the last 10 years. And, and we'd, you know, done various shows together um, under my name. And, and they were like, Sarah, we have to record some of these pieces that you're composing. Like, it's just, we're having a good time with it. And, mm. and we, need to, we need to document this. And I was like, oh, you know, you always have your own self, self-doubt. And, you know, am I, am I ready for this next batch of music? And am I ready to share what I'm writing with people? And, you know, there's just a nervousness about it. But the guys are great. And they were, they were definitely nudging me nudging me forward with it so um i don't know if i necessarily have a process that's kind of surfaced out of it um a lot of times it's been just sort of like that that moment where you're like you get an idea and you know and it just kind of flows um and other times it's been a a a piece that i've reworked and reworked and reworked so many times that if i looked compared the the end result with the beginning it's like oh my god these are the same pieces (laughs) Um, but I think what I what I know to be um, a place of comfort for me, as far as being a player, is um, songs that are coming from a uh, from a melodic fragment. Like uh, melody and the idea of lyricism um, is something that has always been a, a really important part of of uh, where I put my focus and yeah. where I feel just where I am as a player. And um, so I. I think most of the melodies I've composed have been something that is spun out from a phrase, just like some sort of melodic fragment that just has kind of caught my ear and where I can start to hear something following it. Um, and I just, you know, honestly, it's just, it's just me kind of leaving my ears open to what that phrase is, is asking for uh-huh. um, and just kind of following that lead. Yeah. Um, it's not. It's usually not a very quick process for me. I kind of have to live with these pieces for a while and, and go through a few different versions of it. But um, the ones where I that I feel are are the most organic are the ones that really are are, 
are coming from a, a place of, of a melody. Mm. That sounds similar to me, actually. I'm, I'm yeah. the same. I find it. Do you do you play the, do you play the piano? Oh, you wouldn't want to hear me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm awful. My mom did try to teach me piano um, when I was a kid, and she gave up. <laughs> yeah. I had no no skill with it whatsoever. Yeah, I don't I don't go to a piano to yeah. to compose. Um, I just it's the vi- I, honestly a lot of the, com- the composing I do is just um, sitting you know sitting on the floor with a sketch pad or sitting outside and, and just kind of you know hanging with hanging you know being outside and sort of letting the moments of hopefully of inspiration come along <laughs> but um every once in a while I'll, I'll do some composing on the instrument mm-hmm. um actually it's been interesting the i i try I, I don't necessarily gravitate to composing on the violin because i feel as though sometimes my habits might sort of yeah. steer the ideas versus the ideas actually steering themselves Mm-hmm. Um, so, but what's been interesting is, um, I have a Hardanger de Amore, ah. which is a, uh, a variation on the Hardanger fiddle. It's yeah. the, the difference basically is that it's size is a little larger. Um, it's between, uh, it's in between a violin and a viola and it has, um, five sympathetic strings and then five played strings. Who made that? So, um, Salve Hockadal, he's a, a luthier based in, um, Oslo. Okay. And, um, you know, it's it's obviously traditionally used for um, uh, nor nor uh, just like Finnish music and yeah. like, so more that Nordic culture um, and that sort of that style of, of, of song. But I've been using it um, for uh, this one of the bands that I play with, um, a group called Nine Horses. Um, the the mandolin player, the leader of the band, he uh, is a pretty prolific composer and has um, he also he's he, Primarily plays mandolin, but he also plays violin, and he has got a chance to work with the Hardanger and um, really get to know its personality, its, its uh, timbre, and, and just its uh, qualities, and has been writing new music for that instrument. Um, so I've, I've had this instrument for about oh, almost 10 years now, and that instrument, because of the fact that it's not one that um, I have been playing for like all my life, <laughs> because yeah. it has a different sort of sound and a different feel, that's actually been an easier instrument for me to compose on um, because I don't necessarily find, I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily using that instrument for a lot of jazz mm-hmm. and I'm, um, I'm just kind of approaching it technically in a slightly different way. And that seems to be uh, sort of, uh, well, yeah, it's definitely resulted in some, some different melodies that I wouldn't have necessarily thought to write on the violin. So. Yeah. Ah, it's interesting. That's, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, we've managed to get to, we're now at like what, 35 minutes we haven't spoken about uh you know what i'm gonna say already it's amazing Uh-oh. Uh-oh. we haven't you know we haven't spoken about the old uh the old lockdown yeah yeah but um it'd be uh, interesting to hear you know how you've been how you've been spending your time whilst uh whilst not not gigging yeah it's been a pretty wild ride as um as i'm sure it's been for, for everyone who's listening to this um yeah, uh, I, I think you know the the longer this goes, the, the more perspective we get on on some moments that are going to be sort of um, uh, photographed in our minds. And um, for me, it's going to be like right around March tenth and eleventh um, when everything just sort of collapsed. You know, yeah. so it's like far as the infrastructure that I that I knew as a musician yeah. and as a teacher. Um, I was actually up at Berkeley teaching. I, I live in Brooklyn, New York, yep. but I, I commute up to, to Boston once a week for a day to um, to teach there. And I was teaching my Monday students, and um, you know, one of my students came in and said, you know, that she was looking pretty disappointed. And I was like, oh, what's going on? And she's like, well, the summer program that I was supposed to be doing this internship it just got canceled. And I was like, what? What's going on? And and so then like. I start getting all these emails and you know, just basically within 24 hours, like everything just starts to get shut down and canceled and gigs, um, just basically everything. Well, within a week's time, everything in my calendar from March through August. Yeah. Gone. Yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, it was a free fall and it's just like, Oh my God, what's, you know, so there's just, the, there was a shock of that that sort of was, was difficult to swallow, of course. And it's, it's you know, still it's difficult to swallow at times. Um, but you know, it's what I will say the music community is, is absolutely amazing. And my, my musical family here in New York, like we're all, we're all in this together, you know, we're all having the same struggles and we're all 
sort of facing the same challenges, but we're all there to support each other and to, um, to encourage each other to, to keep doing what we love. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I think if anything, this has strengthened my, um, my desire to, to continue doing what I do. I mean, this is, this is my, like, I've always kind of felt as though music is my first language and, and talking with people and like being social and all that. It's like, you know, I've, I'm a little bit more of an introvert in that way, but music has always been the place where I felt the most myself. And, mm. and, um, I, I need this, I need this to be who yeah. I am and I need this to be, to, to be, you know, part of the family and community that I'm part of. And this is, you know, I, I have to keep on this path and it's, you know, it's a big question mark. What's going to be uh, for us on the other side? You know, I mean, most, concert series and venues um they're you know they're, they're not going to be opening their doors um in any way like we what we've known f- um until early next year at the earliest yeah. and uh you know we're so what do we do in the meantime well, we just, you know we're brainstorming and trying to figure out different ways of of um you know connecting with our our fan base and our, our community of, of musicians trying to figure out how we can still collaborate um safely um, how we can still kind of exercise our creative desires and like, you know, just seeing what we can do. Um, and it's all a big experiment, <laughs> but, um, you know, we th- thank God for zoom and, um, and all these different, um, platforms, technolo- technological platforms that enable us to communicate with each other. And, um, you know, yes, we're in quarantine. Yes, we're in isolation, but, um, we are not alone and we can, you know, click up a button. We can, can start talking with our friends and, and, um, you know, just support each other in whatever ways we need. But yeah, I mean, as far as what I've been doing, um, I've, oh, so my boyfriend is a drummer too. He's a, he's a drummer. He's a musician as well. Um, mm-hmm. we both are finding a lot of, um, comfort in kind of establishing daily routines for ourselves. Um, so it's sort of a mix of, of stuff. Um, so we've been, you know, we've been like, musical things we've been doing, we've been absolutely practicing like every day um, and really taking advantage of that extra time to focus on our, um, our uh, progression and our skills and, and just sort of exploring things that we just didn't have time to before. Um, for me personally, I'm, you know, I've, I've got this album that's recorded, mixed and mastered that I'm just sort of sitting on right now and trying to figure out what to do with because I don't want to really release it until I can actually do some shows to promote it. Um, but this is giving me a chance to sort of get into a little bit more of um, just all that's involved with getting a re- record out there and getting more involved with like you know, making sure that all my like copyright um, royalty things are all in line and um, just sort of addressing some of that um, business side of stuff. Um, just so I'm, I'm more knowledgeable about how all of that works. I've had, had a lot of help over the years, but I want to be a little bit more in control. Of, of a lot of those things. So this has been a good time to just really um, educate myself on, on all aspects of the business so that when it does come time for the album's release, then I'm, I'm ready to go. Um, yeah. So we're, you know, just sort of taking care of aspects of, of um, the business. Um, I'm teaching. I've got a handful of students that I'm seeing. I don't teach for Berkeley during the summer. So I'm doing some private instruction as is he. Um, and then, you know, uh, non-musical things, you know, I'm, I'm a, I run quite a bit, so I'm trying to get in as many runs around the park as I can, um, uh-huh. practicing social distancing, of course, um, uh-huh. we're both doing yoga and we do takeout Saturdays and I'm, I've been doing um, stress baking on Sundays, <laughs> <laughs> um, sort of finding things like that. And we've been watching a movie pretty much every night since quarantine happened in March. So we've, I think we've seen probably about 65 films at this point. <laughs> we, we watched uh, 30 days worth of Alfred Hitchcock. That was our, our start. And um, now we've just been sort of going through um, different folks, top 10 movies of all time. So kind of working through um, a lot of old, older films that we've always heard about, but just haven't seen. And um, yeah, so, you know, we're, we're, we have a structure that we sort of set up f- our, for ourselves and f- with each other and, and, uh, and of course, we always are, you know, we're, we're doing what we can to, to, um, to regularly communicate with friends and, you know, uh, little collaborations here and there. We're doing some, um, I don't have a, a I have a, a basic recording rig here. Um, it's, uh, it's, I want to, that's one of the things I also have to do is kind of spruce up my home recording rig. Um, yeah. But I've got a basic one in place. So I'm doing some recordings for, for people here and there. 
um, online services, you know, for that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, as the summer progresses, um, you know, there are a lot of little projects that I have um, on the to-do list that, um, you know, I'm, I'm in a way looking forward to, to getting uh, a chance to really um, to follow through on. So mm. trying to make the most of it. <laughs> make the most of it, yeah. Did you did you find that you instantly went into bang making the most of it, or were you? Uh, did you when it first happened? Did you find that you were in a state of shock, like like a lot of people? Uh it's it's gone in waves. Um, yeah. I think initially I kind of was well because nobody really knew how long this was going to go or the severity <laughs> of like how many like how long these these cancellations were going to you know, go out, yeah. um, you <laughs> know, went, so it was like, pretty far out, though, didn't they? yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember like the last gig I did was this jazz Vesper service. Um, and that was, I think maybe March 18th or so. Uh-huh. And all of us were like sort of comparing notes on what we were hearing about, you know, about cancellations and things. And I remember the saxophone player was like, yeah, I just heard from a friend of mine, like all like Switzerland has just canceled all of their, their jazz festivals. I was like for the summer. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, would be in total shock about that and you know so what i found like i think when initially the news came down all the the cancellations at least for this for the immediate future were happening um my mindset was like oh this is short term like you know uh hey i I got like three weeks here where i like you know i have some time that i can really sort of focus on various things so there was that initial wave of like making the most of it and you know see what i can get done over this short period of time the longer this went out and this, the, the, the more extensive the cancellations became, it's, it's, I mean, it's been different levels of shock that have come along. And, and in a way, different mourning periods have come as a result of that, you know. So it's, yeah. it's kind of been like kind of that high and low that you get going through anything like this um, when you're mm-hmm. going through any kind of, any time of uncertainty. Um, my tendency is to try to be optimistic about a situation, but also be prepared realistically with what's going on. Um, and just be aware of, of, uh, your reality, but just be hopeful and try to work and structure your days around that idea. Yeah. Um, I call that being hopefully, hopefully pessimistic. (laughs) It's, you know, there are days that are challenging. I gotta say, I mean, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's, there, there are definitely days that are challenging and, um, you know, I, that's certainly uh, a time when I'm grateful for uh, for my partner, um, Michael. It's just you know we're we're both there, both there to support each other, and um, so I'm grateful for the support we're able to give each other in those moments. And I'm also grateful for my friends. You know, those are the days where I reach out and say, "Hey, let's do a Zoom hang," you know, Zoom happy hour, and um, we have a good laugh. And um, it's just that sort of reconnection that usually will will bring me out of any kind of funk I might be feeling. And the next day I'm back, back at working at those projects. I mean, you have to take one day at a time, honestly, it's all any of us can do. And, um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a situation too, where I think we're all like, we want to support each other in, in whatever ways we can just to see the music survive, to see our community survive, to see the venues and all these, um, outlets that we have so valued. And I think in, in some ways probably take more taking for granted. Um, we yeah. want to do what we can to, um, to help each other out and, you know, we're all in it together. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I like, you know, I like the way you're saying, uh, you know, how you, it's made you realize it's, it, that you definitely want to play music, you know, cause, yeah. uh, it's done the same thing for me. Uh, cause all I've really done since this happened is, uh, is played the violin and, I just was thinking, like, what else? What would I be doing if I didn't have this yeah. violin? Like, I'd, and and you see, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people don't have the violin, Sarah. They're not that, you know, you know they yeah. don't have a violin to uh, <laughs> to to take up their their time and their thought. And it, it, I did realize this, you know, what, what would I what would I be doing? I don't know. I mean, music in general, of course, not just the yeah. violin. The violin's pr- a pretty special one though, because it is. There is so much you can. There's a lot to do with the violin, isn't there? There's a lot. You yeah. can always be practicing. <laughs> There's always something to be working on. Oh, man, I've got a, a, a novel's length of stuff that I want to be working on to, to improve. But, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful instrument. And it's, you know, it's one of those, I always hear people talk about it as, um, so, like, uh, so close to the human voice. 
mm. um, and just has that express that ability to to emote and um, express in in such a beautifully unique way. And I don't know. I mean, I, like I said before, I I just feel that's my voice. Yeah. And to you know, it just to to imagine a life without that, it's yeah. I, I just can't. It's too much a part of who I am. And yeah. I mean, I, I guess I guess I could say that music is in general is like it's just so much a part of who I am. But, but the violin is just that's my voice, like my specific voice. I can't, yeah, and I, I've thought about that too. It's like, what would I do if I weren't doing music? And yeah. of course, I have I have a lot of things that I enjoy, um, yeah, and a lot of things that. That's the thing. Well, it's just, it doesn't give me the same, yeah. like when I pick up the instrument, I'm playing it. It's just, I, I just, I feel relief. Like yeah. I just, I, I'm connecting. It's a part of my body and I'm reconnecting with that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's my life. Um, it's my yeah. blood. And yeah. you know, when you're, when you're faced with a situation where you're not necessarily able to, to, to do what you have been doing and working for your entire life. It's, it's, it's hard, but, yeah. but I still, when it comes down to it, it's like, it's not about, well, it's, I just, I have to have music. I have to have that be at the center of my life yeah. and I'll find, you know, I'll find a way of making it happen. It's, you know, we, it's just that sort of determination we all have to have. Cause it's just, we have no choice. Like this is our life and this is our, our voice. Mm. So. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You know what, you know what you've, I'm I'm gonna I think I'm gonna spend the next next couple of weeks try to get myself into playing in second position more from listening to what you're doing. <laughs> I think that's what I'm gonna it's do. It's a good exercise. You're, you're the first, you are the first person who says who's ever who's ever said to me that they that they happily will sit in second position. Sorry to go back to the <laughs> I'm not always happy there. I will say that. But it's a it's a it's a place I've gotten more comfortable with. So I'm gonna do it, you know. I think you've uh do um, it. Yeah. Take it There's, on. <laughs> the only problem with this with this lockdown thing is like these things these keep things keep coming up. I keep hearing something <laughs> keep finding something to do. You're like, oh you know what, actually I'm gonna hit second position really hard. And then that's the course of my life basically right now. It's changed <laughs> for for a couple of weeks and all my life is and because we have nothing else to do, now all yeah. my life is 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 second, second position. position. So you've actually Sarah Oh oh <laughs> I'm really sorry. Maybe we'll see what I do. We'll see what happens when I wake up in the morning if it does stick with oh me. Oh my god! All right. Well, I, I can I'm guarantee sure. you that I'll probably end up spending a lot of time doing second, play, working on second position. <laughs> and I reckon a lot of people listening will also be thinking about second position. Oh a bit no! More. I hope I haven't caused more problems than solved. No, <sighs> I don't think so. I think I think we need to we need to embrace second position. I think you're. I think it's, you're right. it's a position that deserves some attention and we're always using it as a passing position. It's, yeah. it's got yeah. its own personality and we need to embrace it. It does. It does. Yeah. Um, I used to have a, sorry, I have to teach on a second position. I used to have a teacher, <laughs> a classical teacher, um, just for a little while, he was teaching me technique when I was studying on a jazz course. And he, he actually was like, never stay in second position. He used to like mm. cross out all the, the back, uh, you know, the, what's the, she got it here. The all of the uh, the Galamian oh, yeah. fingerings, which are all like yep. second in in back partitas. He used to cross all those out and be like, like yeah, we're just not going to go there. Yeah, it's <laughs> like second position is rubbish. Don't do it. But I I don't I, I don't I I don't agree with him. I don't agree with him. I, I I'm with you. Give it some time. It's it. it's got it's got its own value. So. Yeah. Okay, Sarah. I think we've done a we've done a good one. It's been nice Aww. to chat to you. Likewise, likewise. Um, is there so? And I mean, we've just as we've just said, not much is going on in our lives apart from watching <laughs> films and second position. But is there anything that you you know any any new project that's that's that you're that's appearing right oh. now that will be appearing because this will be coming out probably in the next two days. So ah, you've got okay. any anything that's coming out now ish? Uh, yeah, um, I'm going to be doing a, a workshop um, uh, through uh, Live from Our Living Rooms. Um, they sponsored a festival earlier uh, this um, during this 
pandemic season. Do you want to think about it that way? Um, they, it, was a, <laughs> uh, it was they did, it was pretty early on, like in April, um, when they were doing a series of performances and master classes, and um, much of the money that was raised was going toward um, a funding for musicians in need. And um, they're doing another festival coming up here in June, um, and they're going to be announcing that soon. So I don't want to. Uh, uh, announce anything officially as far as a date or anything, but it's going to be a two week festival um, in June. So keep your eyes open for that. Um, I'll be doing a workshop toward the end of the festival, just a one hour uh, workshop. Um, it's limited to 20 people. There aren't going to be very many slots for it. Um, so if anyone's interested, um, in, uh, being part of that, just keep your eyes open for, um, more information about that particular workshop. Um, and, Hopefully, you can be a part of it. Um, and again, the, the, a lot of the, a, a large portion of the funds will be going toward um, uh, musicians in need. So I'm really, really excited to be part of that. Um, as far as other things that are happening, um, you know, as, I'm not. I haven't done a live stream concert yet. Um, I'm thinking like plans are in the works for for something like that. But you know, I've I've I'm trying to pretty regularly put uh, different things on my. Um, on my Facebook, uh, Facebook and Instagram pages. Um, it's a mix of material. Sometimes it's musical, sometimes it's not, but I'm definitely trying to uh, regularly post things that are uh, positive um, uh, and are just sort of fun, humorous, or um, just kind of just insight into my quarantine world. You know, like yeah. anybody, so I'm transcribing or um, a, a collaboration that I've done um, through these um, through, uh, Final Cut Pro and all that kind of stuff. So nice. um, I encourage people to, to jump on board and, and friend me or um, you know, start following me. And, and, um, and my website is always there, and I, I try to keep that updated as well. So Nice one, Sarah. Sounds good. Thank you. Um, well, yeah. good talking with you. Thanks for the invite again to be, be part of this. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for doing it. Stay safe. You too. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks very much for listening to the Jazz Violin Podcast. You've been listening to me, Matt Holborn, chatting to Sarah Caswell. I hope that you enjoyed that. And I guess, and also, as I said, I hope you're okay and you hope you're uh, managing to stay safe and sane. Um, I just brought out some new music, which actually I'm going to play at the end of this uh, very soon. It's a, a little... Um, Musical dedication to a good friend of mine who uh, died from suicide last year. Good friend of mine, Steve Aston. He was uh, a real big part of my life. And uh, when he died, it was a real big... It was a real... It really, really did change my life. Um, so this was that was, a, that was a year ago. You know, a couple of days ago, it was a year ago, and I, I haven't written any music since that happened. And this is the first little piece of music that I've written, and it happened to really remind me of Steve. So I hope you enjoy it, um, and I hope that you're there, you know, all that stuff. Blah, blah, blah. Jazz Violin Podcast. Goodbye. <laughs>